before we get into the show, I'd like to request a couple of things from you, if you wouldn't mind. When you've got the time, I'd love you to head over to bjjstrength.com forward slash gymballfree, J-Y-M-B-A-L-L free. I'll put the link below and that's for you to get access to some free content from the incredibly well-received and my latest program, the Gym Ball for BJJ course, which is using a gym ball or a stability ball, depending on what terms you use, to dramatically improve um, your movement for jiu-jitsu. I'll put the link below, but head head over to that page and you can get access to some free content from it or you could even head to bjjstrength.com forward slash gym ball if you want to take a look at the full program and take a look at all the testimonials you know whatever is best for you um but if you're interested in strength and conditioning um you know one-on-one coaching some of the other free material that i have like the breathing for bjj course you can also head to bjjstrength.com forward slash programs Unfortunately, even though I'm British, I've used the um, American spelling because I think it's easier and quicker. So a program spelled P-R-O-G-R-A-M-S. Again, I'll I'll put the link below. Um, But more than anything, guys, if you do enjoy the content that I put out on the podcast or any other channel, really, one of the biggest ways that you can support me and support the podcast is by spreading the word um, about the show whether it's via social media, put, put in a link of one of your favorite shows and sharing it to people uh, on your Facebook page, on your Instagram, me- sending it to people, or just when you're talking to people at the gym and you know, you're know you sharing some of maybe some of the knowledge that you've picked up, let people know where they can find the show. And what really, really helps more than anything to help grow the audience and grow the podcast is go on to whatever platform you use, whether it's iTunes or another platform, if you could leave a rating and a review, um, I'll be sure to you know give, give as many people as I can a shout out when they do that. But these things are an incredible help for the podcast and inc- an incredible way to support the show. But with that, guys, you know, check out the links in the show notes if you've got the time. Otherwise, let's get on with the show. I'm very happy and excited to bring to you today an interview with a good friend of mine, AJ Jenkins. Uh, It's been some time in the works trying to get her on the show, but we finally managed to sit down uh, and chat about her life and her career as a pro MMA fighter. She's she's had, I believe, 30 fights. I want to say 25 wins. Don't quote me on that. She's fought in Bellator several times in a very successful MMA career. She's also... Uh, a jiu-jitsu um, purple, I think a purple belt, she won the Masters World, she's now a jiu-jitsu brown belt, uh, quite a funny story about how that was the first tournament she ever ended as well, she's um, an excellent strength and conditioning coach, a very, very well experienced strength and conditioning coach, has been working uh, and you know, studied strength and conditioning in college, she got a full right scholarship, um, wrestling, um, so we'll, we'll we'll talk about all of that. She's the very first female guest on the show, which is um, when I looked back over all the guests, I was you know maybe slightly embarrassed that I hadn't had a female guest on before. So you know, very proud to have her as, as the first female guest on the show. Uh, a real expert when it comes to to kettlebells and overall you know physical optimization for jiu-jitsu and for fight sports. I think it's a great interview. I really hope you enjoy it, guys. And with that, let's get on, on with it. You're listening to the BJJ Strength Podcast, helping you be your best physically, on the mats and off the mats. The BJJ Strength Podcast. 
DJ Black Belt and Physical Optimization Specialist Lawrence Griffiths. I'm just going to start recording. Um, yeah, well, I'm 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 not that professional when it comes to the podcast, okay. as my listeners would know. Um, I'm not talking to myself again this week, guys. Uh, this week, well, welcome to the latest episode of the BJJ Strengths Podcast. I've got Adriana or AJ Jenkins, good friend and training partner, with me today. Um, say hello, and then you know, we can do a quick introduction. Hi, I am AJ Jenkins. I am a student. Andrew Lawrence at uh, Carlson Gracie in Temecula, Marietta, and he's been asking me to get on a podcast for about a year now, and in Hawaiian-style fashion, um, I've, I've been blown off, so I'm really happy to be here finally. <laughs> but, you, but you're a lot more well. I te- oh, I'm one of the coaches at the school, right? So yeah. technically, you're not one of my students. But I appreciate you saying that. Um, AJ's got the kids here as well. So, you know, as you know, my, my girls have run into the podcast a thousand times. So people are used to that, right? But you're um, but you're way more than just a jiu-jitsu student, right? Well, you're a jiu-jitsu brown belt. Um, you won Masters World as a purple belt last year, I believe, right? Um, but you're also, you're a pro MMA fighter. 25 fights, 19 wins, is that correct? Um. Uh, 30 fights. I hit 30 fights. Surprisingly, okay. yeah. 30 professional fights. And Someone needs to update Wikipedia then. Yeah, yeah. No. Because <laughs> Wikipedia is the truth. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Some are probably not on there. I, I don't even know. I haven't checked in a really long time. So. I was doing a bit of research earlier. Um, Stalker. <laughs> Stalker, yeah. yeah. So I, was stalk- I was stalking AJ online, um, but I had the incorrect information. Uh, so a pro MMA fighter, uh, you know, jiu-jitsu, you're world champion. Um, you have one of the gnarliest head pressures that I've, that I've encountered <laughs> from man or woman. Um, I think you just, you're nice to me a lot of the times. And when you're mean, it's really fucking mean. Um, but you're also, you know, a strength and conditioning expert specializing in fight sports. Um, I've done, you know, um, extensive knowledge with kettlebells but i think you know have been training with kettlebells a lot longer than i i've done you've probably done a list a list of certifications longer than longer than even my arms mm-hmm. i've got i've got a lot i've got long arms um so that's a big part big part of what you do um you've got uh, we were having a conversation before lifetime of first so maybe we can talk about some of those how you got into the whole fight game but um yeah, yeah i'm really excited to have you on the podcast actually so Thank you for coming. No, thank you for having me. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> Hopefully we stay on track. <laughs> we will. You know, we, we, we can, you know, if it ends in five minutes, then you know it's bad, but I'm sure, I'm sure it won't. Um, so maybe maybe just start with, you know, where, where did you grow up? How did you get into to fighting and that kind of stuff? Right. So I grew up um, in Hawaii, and I'm going to be biased and, and say it's the prettiest island, but I grew up on the island of Kauai. And um, it, it, I'm going to say I grew up country because it's for sure country where I grew up. Um, I started jiu-jitsu there really young as a kid. And, um, oh, how old did you start jiu-jitsu? I'm trying to remember that. So I started with Bruno Iwald, who's still there. Uh-huh. So um, uh, jiu-jitsu culture in Hawaii is pretty cool. You know, it's it's. Um, I feel like judo and jiu-jitsu is pretty normal there you know um was that before or after bj pen 
During the time. It was actually kind of during the area when he was there. Yeah. 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 And um, also a big name I want to put out there because he's from there is Barrett Yoshida. So Barrett Yoshida was there too during okay. the time. Super highly competitive then. Does he live in Southern California now? He right? does now. Actually, yeah. I just um, popped in for a visit at one of his uh, academies on Wednesday. Cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah, now he's in San Diego, I think. Um, somehow between Hawaii and California. The, they bounce back and forth yeah it's not a bad life right? no not at all <laughs> bye guys i'm going to hawaii for the weekend i'll be back you know <laughs> like it's no big deal yeah yeah um so then uh i was in jiu-jitsu and then um joined a wrestling club and um just found joy in both so you're like a teenager at this point before yes you teenager still yeah. a kid yeah. yeah so um uh i ended up in honolulu with helson gracie uh, I was still pretty young. I was training at Helsing Gracie's and a place called HMC, which is still there. Um, doing stand up and doing amateur fights. Um, amateur, amateur MMA fights. Yes. How, how old were you when you had your first fight? Um, I was young, younger, younger than, younger than you're supposed to be. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. I might have forged a few parent parental signatures <laughs> <Yeah>. then. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, mom. Um, <laughs> So then I, this, the, okay, this, this is when it starts getting cool. So I get an offer. Um, they are looking for somebody for the WEC at the time in Lemoore, California. And at the time, the WEC was a pretty big card. We're talking, so this is 2004. Okay. All right. And um, they said, hey, we need an opponent for this beautiful Canadian kickboxer. And... Um, you know, you'd be great. And at the time, I'm like, of course, you know, I'd be great because they always saw as I had ground and she's a kickboxer. And um, so I took the fight and it was me and um, a lot of Hawaii people know this fighter named Harris Sarmiento, which is crazy saying that so back in the day. But um, we flew in for the WC. Now, this card is in little nowhere and it's my first pro fight. So I got all my medicals done. And we landed, it was a five-hour drive to the middle of nowhere, right? And In California. In California. We had yeah. one coach with us. And um, so we get there, and um, I was way underweight. My opponent was still cutting weight. Um, she made weight as well. And I see her, and she's this tall, beautiful, muscular, uh, had these cool, like, corn rolls and i'm like oh, holy shit what did i just get into <laughs> this isn't like the only amateur fights i was taking and um uh we had the fight that night it was just it was so surreal because when i look back it was people are there was randy couture at, in the audience um uh one of my favorite female fighters erin tuffill she was there um so there was it was just really overwhelming um how did the fight go i won but um, it's 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 funny because in my opponent's corner she had Ed Buckley. Most people in San Diego we all know uh, Coach Ed, okay. Coach Ed Buckley. You'll catch up. Um, <laughs> so it's funny because literally after that event, um, a lot of those people you know I stayed in touch with. I actually stayed in touch with my opponent. Um, mm-hmm. She's amazing. She's still amazing. Um, uh, Ed Buckley. I totally trained with them, stayed in touch with them, her corner at the time. But it was about 
two years ago, no, last year, um, I get a notification on Facebook for they're doing this thing for women first, right? And it said that me and her name is Carrie, me and Carrie were the first televised HD, at the time, HD.net, female fight. Really? Yes. So we were the first. Wow. Which is terrible because it was a foul fest. It was just, it wasn't the best, it wasn't the best fight to have as a first. That card itself was so bloody. It was just a very bloody fight. They kind of just brought in the best of the best. We had um, Eve's Edwards on that card. Mm-hmm. It was just, um, I think Razor Rob was on there too. So it was just a crazy, bloody, you know, fight card. Yeah. And then come to find out, we were also the one and only female fight for the WEC. They never had female fights after that. Oh, wow. First on last. First and last, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So maybe it wasn't the best thing. <laughs> but, but to me, I this is the cool part: is I I I left. I went back home with, you know, I got on a plane with a black eye and a newfound love. So that's that's how I always remember it. Um, as crazy as it was. Now, was this before or after you had your wrestling scholarship? Uh, before. Okay. Before. Um, I knew I wanted to go to school. And um, so ended up, you know, moving to Iowa and got a wrestling scholarship there. And while I was wrestling, I actually had my first son. So I was off, had him off the mats for about two months and then back on the mats. And uh, it's pretty cool because my oldest kind of got to grow up a little bit in a wrestling room. I remember being in these practices, you know, college level practices, and he'd be on the side just in those little bouncers, you know, bouncing his little ass off watching practices. So you were... Let me get this right. So you're you've started a pro MMA career. Mm-hmm. Your your scholarship wrestling at Iowa. I'm gonna have to mm-hmm. give the context for a lot of people, particularly overseas, about how mm-hmm. how important that is. And you're a mother for the first time. Yeah, all at the same time. All at, at the same time. Yeah. Um, it's uh, like from I feel like from Kauai on, it's been a circus, but a really cool circus. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's just kind of aligned. Yeah. Um, it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it's it's cool. wild. yeah, now that I look back at yeah, it, it's pretty cool. So give give people some context for what it's like, first of all, just to wrestle at Iowa, but also to get a scholarship to wrestle at Iowa. So the, I went to private college, so um, it was in Iowa. There was, I was, again, the first female there to get on the wrestling yeah. team. Um, I think it was kind of in a contingency because I knew I was still fighting. Yeah. And where I was at was a smaller town. There was no fight gyms. So I thought, well, I'm going to just work with a boxing coach which is, and a kickboxing coach, which is what I did. I would drive up to Des Moines and work with Pete Peterson. And it was like a two-hour drive, two hours there, two hours back. Every day? Uh, three days a week, wow. sometimes with the snow. And then I had wrestling. And as wrestlers know, you st- it's fin- you're usually in phenomenal shape. And um, held on dearly to any of j- the jiu-jitsu I knew. So I ha- would have teammates that would like drill with me. Yeah. Um, and then just take fights locally in that area. So that's what I would have as the background. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was pretty cool because it, it was the same thing. They were just kind of like figuring out how to work around. Okay, we have a female wrestler. and um, You were the only female then? Only female. And the facility was beautiful. It was like this beautiful million-dollar facility. And it was for the football player. It was an athlete-based school for sure. Yeah. So it's for the football players. Um, we had basketball, and then this beautiful, brand new wrestling room. However, the wrestling room was only for men, so they wouldn't let you wrestle in there. Uh, the wrestling locker room. 
Right, the locker okay. room was only for men. And then there was the full art wrestling room. So I would always get ready in like the softball locker room or the bathroom. Um, it's funny because one of my friends from college hit me up and they're like, uh, the, uh, he was a football player. And he says, I remember you because you would walk out of the room and you just look a hot mess and like dragging your wrestling shoes behind you. You know, like you definitely just went through hell and back. <laughs> you, I would just, there'd be practices happening and I'd be so out of it. I would just walk clear right between like football practice just done. across yeah, across the turf. Everybody just kind of stop. I'm like, okay, there's that weird girl. Go across the way to go use the locker room, shower up and come back. Well, I'm I'm really interested in this, and maybe some people have this experience that are listening to the podcast. But I know a lot of people who listen from outside the US or even inside the US. We we know that okay, wrestling and, and college wrestling is really tough. But what? How tough is it really? What what does what does a typical kind of practice session look like? A weekly training mm-hmm. look like? Now, I I am proud to say, even this is I'm proud to say I am an okay wrestler. You know, I'm not phenomenal you know i'm um I, I i used it to get by for fighting but those the guys that were there it was really competitive you know mm-hmm. so um and practices were ranging between two to three hours sometimes um and that type of sport you constantly want to stay in top shape you know a, what two, I mean? a two a two to three hour practice two to three hours is sometimes is two yeah. to three hours in, intense for two to three hours they were looking at I feel like because you're warming up, you're drilling, you're going live, and then um, cooldowns are kind of on your own. Yeah, it was really intense. And mm-hmm. they also did road work outside of that and strength training on outside of that. So, what would a typical weekly schedule look like? Practices every day, you know, room practices, strength training twice a week, and road work twice a week on top of that. Wow. Yeah. Um, but that was kind of cool because being a part of the strength training, the strength training made it to where I could join the strength team for some um, extra funds for college. So I okay. did, that's I got on the strength team, and then that was when I fell in love with uh, strength training. What, what do you mean get on the strength team? I was in they li- had a, li- lifting competitively? Mm-hmm. They had a strength team. Yeah. Yeah, so I was secondary. I jumped on that um, because I had to in order to even hang with some of my teammates. Yeah. I had to be strong. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had to have strong joints and be able to handle being taken down a lot, especially after having a kid. Mm-hmm. So um, there was a really good coach there at the time, and um, he started writing up programs for me um, outside of what we were already doing. Because wrestling, it's always, as they know, it's back and, you know, a lot of back, a lot of squats. <laughs> yeah. So uh, was there much... Was there much science applied to the strength and conditioning there? We had some really good coaches, but I think because the the room was the size it was and the team was the size that it was, so you kind of had to get in, get out, get get your foundation stuff done, and then get out. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then once I got programming, yeah, it was really cool. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of what led me into. At the time when I went to college, I had no idea what I was gonna major in and then when i joined the strength team that's when i was like okay this is really cool yeah you know this is what i want to do so so what so you majored in is there a well strength and conditioning would be the wrong word what, what, what was physical it physical education in? yeah and then i went into a coaching emphasis because i wanted to be a strength coach so it was, yeah yeah so did you start doing the strength coaching 
while you were still while you still had the MMA career and yes. even after after leaving college yeah. mm-hmm. during yeah. yeah is when I when I was working as a a coach yeah yeah and when did you um when did you get to California um as soon as I was done with college <laughs> you just like I'm yeah. done I'm yeah done with the coach. yeah long story I was like dating a guy and he lived out here okay. and so he's like okay yeah, you're done in Iowa he came and packed me up my best friend was out here and she was training. So some of the people in San Diego will recognize this name for sure um, at this this academy called Undisputed down in San Diego. Is, it, is that still around? I think so, yeah. Okay. So at the time, um, it's 2008-9, about 2009 or 10, um, that's where Dominic Cruz was at. Okay. And Brandon Vera okay. and um, War Machine. Even, even I know those names. <laughs> even you know these names, yeah. yeah. So this is like, the, the that was the, the old school um, kind of mm. gym. We had... Um, Coach Manny, everybody knows Manny. So he was down there too, coaching. Um, it's pretty cool because it was kind of like the that was the the beginning, you know, of MMA mecca for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. So wh- when did it? When was the first the big the first te- you know, televised UFC fight? That was about two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Um, I. I haven't fought in the UFC. No, but I mean in general. In general, the first. Oh, UFC. the first. Um, yeah, because that was Liz Carmouche and Ronda Rousey. Yeah. And actually, it's it's still pretty recent. I don't think it was that long ago. Mm. Um, but I, um, the UFC just has done a really great job of as soon as those girls put on such a great fight, they're like, okay, yeah. So well, you look at the head this this weekend, right? The headline is a female fight. Liz Carmouche, yes, she yeah. is. And much deserved. Yeah, yeah. and it's—I—I I was thinking about this um, before you were coming over, and uh, I don't think there was any other sport that I can think of where people would, you know, pay to watch and go to watch. Sometimes even more people would pay to watch and go to watch a female headline event versus a male headline event. I can't think of any other sport where there's that would that would potentially happen. Um. Yeah, I mean, there there was the rarity. Do you, uh, we had Leila Ali? She was a she's phenomenal. So she's headlined a few cards, and the, yeah. the sales were were beyond. Yeah, but yeah. it is Leila Ali, you know. So yeah, yeah, but that so was that's, just uh, Muhammad that was Ali's a, daughter. Muhammad Ali's yes, daughter. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and she's just she's amazing. Yeah, amazing looking too. So yeah, but that was a rarity. You usually don't see that that yeah. level of sales for sure. Yeah, yeah, because any, any other sport, well, most other sports, it's completely separate. You, you'd have you have separate separate leagues, separate games, separate events, mm-hmm. separate times of the year. So you know you have, uh, you know, you'll see like the w, WNBA pop up now and again. On mm-hmm. and if you really follow it, then there are going to be people really into it. But you know, you compare that to the NBA, it's like night and day in terms of the coverage. Yes, yeah, I agree. That's cool. It's yeah. good. It's good to see. Particularly because I've got two girls, and not that I'm yeah. saying I want, I want them to necessarily go into fighting, yeah. but they're going to get into jujitsu. I think that's inevitable. Yeah. Um, but do you do you think so? The my my perception then is that within within MMA that there's a lot more gender equality uh, as a viewer. Do you think there's is that true? Do do do, do, these, do these women get paid the same? As the male fighters, um, I wouldn't know. I I wouldn't want to quote on that because I am not sure. But I am friends with a lot of female fighters, and you know they do tell me what they make. And it seems like now it's it's much 
much better. Yeah. You know, I think it's more the recognition, not, oh, they're female to male, is that they work just as hard, if yeah. not even more, you know, they and they have to carry themselves a little bit more different because they're more of a rarity, right? So yeah. social media goes a little different for them. You have to work extra hard on, um, I, I imagine, on what they are. Um, in my in my era, I can talk for me. Um, it was yeah, I was definitely not paid the same by some promotions, and then some promotions would pay me more than the males. Yeah, you know, if I earned a main event, that's what I would make. Yeah, um, I I would say like ninety percent of my fight journey, most promotions were great with me. Like I, maybe I just got lucky, or mm-hmm. um, I just. I've always carried like super gratitude to be there in the first place. Yeah. But um, I've, I've usually dealt with some really great promotions and, so, and I have some that are my favorite and I wish I could still fight for them, but yeah. Yeah. Those, those promotions are gone. I don't know if they're still around. Um, so we had uh, uh, the FCF, which is with Dorothy Fayas and, um, and uh, that was just, uh, that was so much fun. I did this, this tournament um, I believe it was 12 women. Mm-hmm. And uh, me and one of my close friends were in the tournament. And somehow we ended up in the finals. And she armbarred me, of course. I knew it was going to happen, too. I was like, okay, but let's just do it with Grace, though. I'm going to get a takedown first before she armbars me, for yeah. sure. Did you? <laughs> I did. And I remember Josh Brent in her corner going, why did you get taken down? I was like, listen, I know I'm going to get like whooped on the ground, but I'm definitely getting her. T- I'm going to get my takedown at least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was cool. It was just a really cool experience. It kind of reminded me like when I... Because the Worlds, the Masters Worlds, yeah. was my first and only uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is tournament. Is that your only Jiu-Jitsu tournament that you took my, gold at the Masters Worlds? Yeah, it was really confusing. I was just as confused as I had, the way you reacted. But I was just, I remember being on the stand and I'm just like, you know, they put you on the podium, yeah. give you your medal. And I'm just in awe. Like, I'm looking around. I'm like, these, these women are cool. Look, they're like from all over the world. And then I said this stupid thing in first place. They put the medal on me, you know, and then I looked at to my left and my right. I'm like, you guys, this is my first jiu-jitsu tournament. This is so <laughs> cool, you know, and these women have flown in from like Europe and, you know, from everywhere. everywhere. And I just, I didn't realize what a, you know, what a, I shouldn't have said that, but. Well, well, how did their faces look after you said that? They must have been deflated. Well, I think they, a couple of them laughed. They're like, okay, this girl's just you know maybe she's just been hit a lot i don't know <laughs> so <laughs> they're pretty nice but i was just even when i showed up i was watching some of these females on the mats and um it was kind of the same way for that eight women tournament for mma because i'm like these these girls are amazing like they came in from all over the place but i'm watching and i'm like their level is just beyond you know i've they're so technically beautiful and and um super athletic and it was just super cool to see you know but you're very you're very technical you're very athletic as well right you i think you're being quite humble well about, about yourself i don't know about that but <laughs> i just kind of so go how, like, yeah <laughs> how, how how do you think you won then if you if you say these guys were so technical and yeah, athletic somebody, yeah i've been asked that so like how do you you know because when you talk with your jiu-jitsu buddies like how did you win you know they want to know those the sub or your points and I had a uh, Chad Robichaud, uh, a Robo Roll. Robo, yeah, he was coaching me, and of course you can tell I'm a little overwhelmed because I'm like, what? I don't even. I watch. I was watching matches because I didn't understand the protocol of like, you go into the bullpen, 
<clears throat> and then they call you and it's ran super well, you know, it's super organized, but I didn't yeah. know any of that. So I'm just walking around like looking at like booths. Probably, probably didn't know all the rules either. No, nope. No, I did not. Uh, listen, <laughs> I apologize ahead of time, but it was really just, I think nobody told me because people were like, oh yeah, you should compete. And I was like, yeah, you know, at the Academy, I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to do that one in Vegas. That, and one, I, that one in Vegas. Yeah. And Carl was, and Carl and Kaylee, these are both t- teammates of me and Lawrence. They're both like, oh, you're doing the worlds. But I don't, I think on purpose, they're like, ah, you'll be fine. They didn't want to tell me it's like the hardest tournament of the year, you know? The Masters World is, I think, numbers wise, now the biggest tournament in the world. Oh, there was a ton of people. Yeah. yeah it was packed. And I think which is cool at that age group people are tough <laughs> they're tough they're just tough and uh yeah so i didn't know protocol or anything and then um chad robishaw tells me he was like okay just treat it like a fight just he said uh, just treat it like a fight just get out there get on top stay on top and so that's what i did um i should have put my let me put my computer on silent sorry emails coming through um so you just got uh, got got a takedown, got on top, stayed on top for five minute rounds. Well, Once you get ahead, it's... right. Actually, I, I had a knee injury. Um, so of... hang on, hang on. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Not only did you barely know the rules, the protocol, you'd never done a jujitsu tournament before. It's the Masters World, and you had a knee injury. It was my first knee. It was crazy because I've been in MMA for as long as I have, never had knee injuries, and then um, a teammate. Um, I won't say <clears throat> Jeremy Klein. Um, he like shot a torpedo because we were going hard. Everybody's, you know, everybody's getting ready for the world. So the, the academy is a little different, you know, and sublex my knee. And so that happened a few months for the world. So I had a knee injury. So there, I was just like, I'm going to pull guard and sweep. And because I knew if I try to sprawl or shoot that it just kept slipping. And that's embarrassing, you know, for everybody. You're like, Ugh. <laughs> my, my knee, knee hurts. <laughs> so I would just pull and sweep and then get on top. It wasn't the prettiest. It, I'll, I'll be honest. Compared to all those women, it was it was just um, one of my matches. I got a lot of points. I'm not even sure how. But the cool thing is I didn't get any points scored against me for all four matches. Did you get any subs? No, no, no. I didn't think about it because I just thought, well, I'm just going to kind of put myself in a fight perspective. And in fighting, it's you get on top and you control the top before, you know, position before your sub, right? So um, mm. I was nervous. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> Were you, so, uh, the, the, so thinking about a kind of the mindset for the fight um, and having done a lot of, you know, 30 pro MMA, pro MMA fights uh what what's kind of what were the things that maybe you took from from your mma fights took into the jiu-jitsu match and stuff that you know maybe helped you kind of the the mental talk you're going through but you said you were still nervous i was because i was out of my element right okay so before my first match i i you i mentally put myself in a place as if i'm about to get in the cage and I realized that mentality was a little too intense because once we locked horns, I was like, oh, great. I'm not getting kneed in the face. This isn't that bad, you know? And um, it became more of a, you know, just um, listening to the coaches and it definitely calmed down enough to where I was actually, you know, talking, not like communicating back to the coaches during my matches and stuff. And- Are you allowed to talk to coaches? 
you can't talk to him, but you can definitely give him like thumbs up. Oh or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that, hey, yeah. I heard you. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was. It, um, the mentality is a little different, but I'm not. I imagine at like black belt level, or you know where you guys are at, um, or the high level um, jujitsu athletes, they they probably do have to put themselves in a mentality of of um, a, a fight mentality, right? I've talked about it on the podcast in the past and the thing I, I think now over time if I kind of post analyze all of all of the fights that I've had and I've you know, there's, there's a lot of people that have had a lot more fights than I have right so this is by no means kind of gospel um, but I, I talk about having a narrow focus but broad awareness so I'm very focused on what it is I need to do but I've got a broad awareness of what's going on in the fight so I don't miss the opportunities mm. that's kind of the mindset that I, I, I try to get into um, I got a question since since we're on a podcast yeah so I was having this conversation and I'll throw him under the bus because he, he probably doesn't care with uh, Tom Galicia who is a, a, a grappler and a fighter okay you guys might know him but um He's like, I, we were like, why do why do they call jujitsu matches fights? Um, and not that there's a right or wrong, or you know what's behind it, you know? Because I I keep calling it a match, and I'll get oh my jujitsu match, but then I'll get corrected, oh your jujitsu fight, and so it just kind of goes back and forth. I, I'm curious to why why it's called a fight. Why it's called fight? Is that like uh, the martial arts side of it, or is it just kind of I don't slang know. throwing around? Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know. I would say. I'm trying to think now. I haven't competed since the Pan Ams six months ago. And I'm trying to think what they do at IBJJF on the boards, whether they say match one or they say fight one. Hmm. I, I can't I can't remember. Um, is it a fight? I suppose wrestling, you'd call it a match, right? You know, if, um, but even boxing, you'd call it a bout. Even, you know, not sometimes that... I don't know. I, I, I really don't yeah, know. I'm curious. I'm uh, I'm going to be working at the EBI this year, um, this month. Uh, and that... Com- the combat jiu-jitsu? Combat jiu-jitsu. Well, right. Yeah. So I, I, I think I was kind of... Um, I, of course, I need to research it. And um, I wonder if there's a difference if they refer to that as a fight because there's striking involved now, you know, like uh, jiu-jitsu becomes more different. So I'm like, oh, does it matter like, what they call it? I'm not really, but I'm just curious to what was the term? Am I saying it wrong? You're, no, I don't. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. Yeah. I think a fight. Yeah, match fight. I think I use fight. If I yeah. think about it, I'll, I'll 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 try and catch myself next time and, and recognize what I say. But it, it, this brings up another thought in my mind about. Um, jiu-jitsu and I was I'm, I'm thinking I'm planning in my head another potentially another podcast mm-hmm. um, and maybe you can give me some some of your um, input onto this but what I what I wish I'd known as a white belt um, and I think jiu-jitsu you're still I think you're still in a fight in many respects we're not we're not striking in jiu-jitsu but I think there's, I used to think as a white belt very early on that jujitsu was, oh, I'll relax, I slip my hips here, I catch your arm and I get an arm bar. But it's rarely that unless you're at such a level above the other person that you can kind of flow and move between the positions. It's, it's, a, a, it's a real battle, right? It's a battle for the grips, battle for head position, battle for, for, for the whole 
for the whole you know thing right from from start to finish even in sparring let alone in jiu-jitsu so i think it's it's a fight mentality that you're going out there to fight and to beat that person right um and that's honestly where i was thinking of it too maybe that's why it's referred to that yeah because you're um you're having to react under pressure same thing happens in mma you know so that's what i thought There's not many, there are not many sports, right, where you can legitimately train at much intensity day in, day out. You do that in jiu-jitsu, it's going to take its toll. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, you, 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 you can let me know what your experience is because you actually are an MMA fighter. But what I understand, that the smart MMA fighters today, they're not going balls to the wall every time they step in the ring with, with, with people, right? They're smart about the training, but you can do that in jiu-jitsu. And you know it's going to beat you're going to be physically beat up, but you're not you're not getting punched in the face, right? It allows you to go really go at it in training, maybe more so than a lot of other sports. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, d- sure. I don't know. I, I, honestly, I, I it's like it's kind of who you're training with too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I can train with someone, and be like, I, I, you have this match mentality. It's a, ch- a a chess match, right? And and then you some people I train with, I'm like holy shit okay this is a dog fight i'm just going to be defending myself for six minutes right now <laughs> you yeah. know what i mean so sometimes maybe it's who you're training with too for sure do you so let's go into training jujitsu as a woman because you're actually the first female guest on the podcast it's another first for Yay. you i know um whoop, whoop. which is maybe I, I know you know calm your excitement maybe the biggest first of all this podcast i know <laughs> um, but, you guys <laughs> but, i'm like throwing confetti over here <laughs> she's going she's going she's going wild she's going wild um but i think it could be a good opportunity to talk about because you know at least i've done surveys of people that listen to the show and stuff and even i think our school is a lot better with maybe more female fighters but generally it tends to be a, a you know more male dominated sport mm-hmm. um if you look at the percentages but that's changing and hopefully um yeah, i know there are women that listen to this podcast i'm sure they'd be interested to know uh you know what are your thoughts about you know if someone is new to jiu-jitsu or relatively new to jiu-jitsu, to jiu-jitsu as a woman how you handle training in a male dominant mostly a male dominant mm-hmm. environment and that's usually not only in um well in with my life <laughs> it wasn't only in jiu-jitsu it was definitely in mma too um, when I was and I was at a team Militich under Pat Militich, there was first first woman on the team. Um, I think so. There we did have I don't know we had um this is so old school but Jennifer Howe um but yeah probably there long term at that time yeah um and then I was with Team Quest here under Dan Henderson um and we had some really tough girls but just a handful barely you know that stuck with it so mm-hmm. there's probably about three of us for sure yeah yeah so you've got it you uh, so and then we went and then yeah so now being at with tom professor tom um we, we do have a good amount of women um you know but not like you know with some of these san diego academies they have all-out women teams which is so cool to see for me in my shoes that's such a cool thing to see um, cause I never got to experience that, but I imagine that's a really hyped up room. I bet that's really cool for sure. You know, especially at that level. So, so what do you, what do you, or what have you done to survive training in those kind of environments? 
I, I, this is, it's going to so sound, it's very cliche, it's strength training, I'm telling you. It like, because to be able to, because we're not looking, you know, you, you can't survive on a team if you're only the, always getting, like people are only going easy with you, right? Because I'm getting in the cage with somebody is not. So I had to have teammates that were equally pushing me just as much as, you know, they would push themselves. Mm-hmm. So that does mean I, some of those rooms I look back on that's sparring, um, you know, a teammate, my size as hard as I can, like, you know, as if we were same gender. Yeah. Um, and I am very lucky. I, I have broken bones in my face and all that, but I'm lucky to not have any crazy full term injuries. You know, the most common ones you would see in jujitsu and MMA. And a lot of that was, i I honestly believe my testament is with strength training, like yeah. really keeping that a part of my training. Um, it helped me mentally and and physically, you know, being able to uh, carry and react under pressure. Um, but as a, I would tell anybody that, you know, as a lone female that's getting into it is find yourself good training partners that um, look at you as an athlete, you know, mm-hmm. and a, um, treat you that way um also if you are a female on a on a team that there's not that many females get along with your female teammates the few that are there you know because they're probably going through the same exact thing you are regardless of the belt level or in the mma regardless if they're amateur or pro you know get to know them be somebody they can talk to you and then also to communicate with your professors if there's somebody that you do train with that you just get a weird creepy vibe from or you just don't want to train with them don't feel like you can't or in my case like somebody's sparring way too hard like you know you're you're hitting me way too hard for you should have the type of relationship with your professors coaches and teammates to be able to address that don't give up on it because you think um this is what every you know academy or gym is like Mm. um you you know, I, I would tell any female getting into it, you belong to be there just as much as anybody else. So, yeah. Yeah. And the more people, the more women that do get into it, the easier and easier it becomes for everyone else. Yeah. Or they gang up on you guys and <laughs> they group together. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then people start getting, yeah, you guys are like, you, you know, the men get all afraid, like, oh, don't go over there. Look, they're grouped together. <laughs> they're scarier in groups. <laughs> Yeah. It, can be, it can be it can be intimidating yeah sure i'm working on it <laughs> so you've you've referred to um strength strength training being a big being a big factor huge. um huge and you said that you said you started that seriously started it when you were wrestling at college um and obviously it's something that, that continued what had uh, so much so many stuff uh, so many things that we have talked about off this podcast right just on the side of training mm-hmm. as, as it comes to strength and conditioning it's almost like once we get going we can't mm-hmm. uh, can't stop but i'm just trying to think of of where to start um uh, maybe a good place to start is okay someone is listening now and you know what male or female if you want to make a sp- specific for females then go then go ahead um but you know they've little or no strength and conditioning experience and they want to make themselves stronger for jujitsu because i know you tri- you've trained um a lot of girls on our team mm-hmm. right we've started jujitsu at the team and you've taken them on and also do strength and conditioning with them so mm-hmm. i know you've got a lot of experience of training people from you know a, a kind of almost zero base 
what would you say to people listening about how they should start and approach the strength and conditioning? Well, I don't really, I don't gender, like, I don't differentiate between you were, train, you were training a man and a woman the same The way. only reason I would make any changes mm-hmm. um, are either injury or they are postpartum or pregnant. So that's the only way I would yep. really look at, um, or if they have, you know, obviously as a trainer, you look at any kind of medical issues, but that doesn't have anything to do with, you know, gender. When I, mm-hmm. if I'm training women specifically, um, um, if they have an injury that might be more applicable that, you know, um, they have a hip injury. I, I'm going to train that a little different, especially if they've already had children, yep. right. Or if they're postpartum or pregnant mm-hmm. so that's the only way i ever change it up besides that it's to me it's the same so this would be general advice then regardless of you know, right. male or female and right. how, how would you so anyone that is listening and thinking right you know shit i need to do some strength and conditioning mm-hmm. for jujitsu where where would you suggest someone starts um you if anything you know because there's so there's so many different I, I can imagine, I was thinking about that the other day when I was driving, I was like, okay, say I'm brand new and I'm, I'm stepping into this. I'm like, okay, I want to start strength training. Mm. And then you start looking, you look around, you're like, God, there is so many different programs out there. Like there, now everything is online or, you know, you have all these satellite coaches and, um, and I, I really believe things go better organically if you find somewhere to go, it's, you know, cause things are, are online and all that. And if you do have an online coach, make sure you're communicating with them instead of just, you know, um, downloading an app, give feedback to them. And most coaches, I know in my case, I love feedback. If something was too hard or challenging or it didn't work for them, let me know. Cause I, I want to change that. You know, I want to, I want to do that. So, um, that being said, there is some really good, I mean, phenomenal online programs out there, um, but I imagine, like I said, there's where do you even start? You know, yeah. there's CrossFit. You know, now there's uh, just all cross, kinds, all kinds of, of what stuff. What do you think of CrossFit? Oh my gosh, don't put me there. <laughs> it's too many. Uh, the, uh, I'll just pull the. We're all created equal. <laughs> it's, uh, the the I guess the cool thing about CrossFit, what the, the feedback I always the positive is the community. Yeah, yeah, they're very yeah. tight knit, and locations. There's so many boxes that's what they call them right boxes or yep. gyms yeah there's it's, it's a lot easier to find them now they're all over the place so there's a lot more as instead of like hey i i want to get into um working kettlebells it's a little harder finding a kettlebell based studio a kettlebell specific gym, right yeah yeah and if that's what and you're there's a lot of bad kettlebell instruction yeah yeah a lot um so uh, First and foremost, just instead of being overwhelmed with that, decide something that really interests you because you're going to have to have interest to even want to do it. To right? stay with it, yeah. 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 And then when you start getting specifics, always start foundational, like always and stick with it, the foundational training. And what would you, and what would you call your, what would you call the foundational training, foundational exercises? I like to think of stuff, especially if we like okay we'll talk jujitsu it's i think of things from the ground up right um not so much body part specific my own lifts um i usually look at them as um i'll do a push day and a pull day but almost every day i trained i train um you know 
not every day, probably I cut out Saturdays. So things that I know, like um, joint strength for sure. And I lately I've been really hitting up, you know, things for my grip strength, mm-hmm. specifically your fingers. And I know that sounds weird, but and um, your feet and your toes, you know, those that do jiu-jitsu all the time. Think about it. How often those are injured. If you really think about it, how often are you like, oh, my gosh, my fingers, fingers or toes. How many times do you get on the mat when your teammates got their feet taped up like a mummy? Right. Because they <laughs> some kind of injury there. Yeah. Yeah. And then if you then you start going inwards. OK, my wrists, my ankles. And then the really important stuff, my knees, my hips. shoulders, and then the hips to me are the center. That's what should always be the strongest to me. Yeah. Yeah. So when you say strengthening the strengthening the joints, then the hips would be maybe a good example. So I'm almost going the reverse of what you said, starting from the in, inside and coming out. Now, we, when people think, okay, hip strength, they'll go deadlifts, kettlebell swings, you know, maybe squats, whatever that may be. Um, but that's, you know, developing strength in the prime movers for the hips. Are you also thinking about, you know, hip mobility, hip stability, joint range of motion, etc., as well? Yeah, for sure. Um, there's a lot of directional changes um, in jiu-jitsu. If you notice that, you're, you, your ad and adductors kick in fast. You know, yeah. when you're doing it, you feel that. Um a lot of glute firing. There's a lot that happens within jiu-jitsu yeah. you know, when we talk about that. Um, but um, I would definitely put strength alongside mobility. That's the way to think of it because I think that gets neglected a lot. Yeah. In jiu-jitsu, we, we neglect our mobility quite a bit. Now, people think mobility and they think yoga right away or something like that. Um, how, would you, how would you define mobility? Um, I like to do things. I like to kind of treat things things like that as if it was a rubber band, right? Um, when I think holding a static stretch, I'm like, well, I'm going to go train. I'm taking a, a something that's pretty tight. I'm pulling it and holding it. And then um, it's going to tighten up probably in the same measure as soon as I go get on the mat. Yeah. So instead, when I think of mobility, I, I, I'm a huge fan of foam rolling. It's super affordable. Um, trigger point balls, I use those often. Mm-hmm. Um and also, um, you, you can buy these anywhere, but those are the big bands that you can kind of hang over. Yeah. Yeah. So I do a lot of, I think of it like as if you were taking your hair tie or rubber band and you're stretching a little bit and then releasing and then stretching a little bit more and then releasing. Mm. And so that's a good thing I try to do every day. I'm not trying to take something beyond a point of where it's usually going to go back to anyways. Yeah. But I am keeping it nice and lubed and, um, you know, challenging reactors there. That's what I'm. That's usually what I think about it yeah. as. Okay, okay. Um, what was I going to ask next? I've lost my. <laughs> I've lost my. You can totally disagree at any point too. We can. No, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I was. I've got a book on the table here. I mentioned it in the last podcast, and I wanted to show it to you after the show. It's called Super Training. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you know, I, I get a nice book. I like to talk about it on the podcast because it makes me sound intelligent and stuff. Yeah. But it's, <laughs> so that, that and, the, and I've just read. You're it all reading it backwards too. <laughs> Like uh, upside pro- down. Probably reading it backwards and upside down, right? Um, it's, yeah. uh, it's in Russian. <laughs> <laughs> and then come to the academy, you guys. I just read this the raddest book ever. <laughs> you should see the pic- You should see the pictures. Um, but they t- um, so there. What in the section? It's a it's an introductory section about mobility mm. uh, and flexibility. And one of the things that they talk about, depending on what you're trying to mobilize in the body, depend. Um, 
that you've got to think about the makeup of the tissue and whether it's both in terms of fast fast twitch and slow twitch fibers, but also mm-hmm. in terms of the, the amount of fascia or connective tissue within there. Mm-hmm. So if you think of something like um, the calves, which is going to be have a much greater concentration of connective tissue, because if you think of where the calf muscles stop versus the hamstring or the quads, where it's going to be more um, soft tissue, more or more muscle, right? So the and the and the the, the the connective tissue, which is made up of you know predominantly collagen or, um, or collagenous fiber, right? Um, obviously, you can break it out to more detail than that, but that's far more resistant to stretch. But also, you've got to be you've got to think about you know uh, stretching tendons versus stretching ligaments is different because if you stretch the ligaments, then you have joint laxity and all of these kind of things. So that was bouncing around in my head as you were speaking. So then that's why I lost my train of thought. You know, sorry. It, it's what I, my, one of my favorite things about Lawrence. If you're listening, so he could be talking. I don't know about something so mundane, and with that accent, you're like that sounds super regal. <laughs> like you just made fascia sound so like. <laughs> so like the, the fashion yeah so <laughs> elegant and then there's my like hillbilly butt over there i'm like you know the best way to think of that is like if you take chicken and then you start pulling that skin off you know the gross skin you're always trying to yeah that's the fascia, that's the fascia. And, and then you just my clients are looking at me in horror like what is, holy cow <laughs> what the, yeah you know you're just gonna take it you're just gonna rub it out you know right on the chicken skin and get it out but i'm gonna definitely start describing uh i gotta make sure i Get use, a hold of this an, podcast. Oh yeah, if it sounds like that, they'll do. I'm pretty sure you can convince anybody. Just convince any, yeah. anybody. <laughs> I could be talking about complete nonsense. Yeah, but with but, the right accent. But with that right accent, it just everything. All of a sudden, I'm like listening. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Yeah. I do feel like sometimes I need subtitles on my videos. Probably. Probably. People yeah. are just too nice to tell you. <laughs> oh yeah, completely, completely. <laughs> uh, right, I'm going to share a story, right? Because it's it's fresh on my mind. I've got a, my 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 most popular video on YouTube is uh, it's the, the the only three strength and conditioning exercises you need for jujitsu. Of course, you never need more than three exercises, right? But it's just you know a catchy title to talk about what I think are my three favorite exercises. If you could only pick three, or if you're time constrained. And it's it's the most popular video um, for uh, it, it could be for a number of reasons, but there's one particular reason. If you if you if you look for this video, um, go onto my YouTube channel. I think it's at six oh seven. My mic is caught kind of underneath my chin, and I'm doing a, a Turkish get up as I'm talking and explaining through the video. Mm. And as I come down. <clears throat> The mic, this is my theory. This is the truth that I'm going with. But the mic rubs against my chin and against my stubble and makes a farting noise. That right? <laughs> 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 I, I didn't pick up. I pushed the video out. It got picked up by <laughs> Jiu-Jitsu Times. All these people started coming on. And I can see an alert pop up for a comment. I'm like, oh, brilliant. And the guy just goes, ha, 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 at 6.07 or 6.09, whenever it is. <laughs> And I'm like, what's going on? And I could hear this noise. And it's that. <laughs> and I'm thinking I had to stop and go, oh, hang on. Did I did I actually fart when I was doing a Turkish get up? It's a did questionable I? one. Yeah. It's a, it's, uh, <laughs> and since then, now it's, there's like a hundred comments on there. And, you know, some comments about the exercises, but a lot of comments of laughing about the fart. 
I've just kind of made a joke about it. Um, so I've decided I should put farting noises into um, <laughs> into, into more of my people videos. People commenting, they're completely. like, the getup's cool, but did you hear that fart? It yeah. was great. <laughs> well, because of all the comments and YouTube pushes it to the top. Yeah. So I'm like, Super I'm catchy. game. I'm game for it anyway. Um <laughs> but we've gone we've gone off topic so for 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 the hips then if we're talking about you know hip 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 mobility and hip strength let's talk about mobility to start off with because i know that uh, i i was it was interesting to hear you say that you wouldn't train men and um, men and women you know differently and i think 99 percent of that absolutely would be true the only area i would think because for jujitsu it's so important is hip mobility that the hip mobility with um you know the, the men that i train with tends to be way worse than some of the women so that would be yeah good. you guys aren't designed to pop out babies we so are yeah. not designed to pop out babies <laughs> yeah your hips are a little bit more narrow yeah you know, we got gifted with this so gorgeously you, you know curvy hips so yeah that works so, out so do you think that's one of the big differences then in terms of uh you know hip mobility between men and women is the, the wider pelvis and yeah, yeah honestly with any of my my i call them students um um not minions not minions that'd be great <laughs> <laughs> um i the same thing i really i try to it's, if i go if i turn around and i say hey she's a girl so she's gonna be more mold, mobile than you you know if I'm, i have a male and a female student mm. and so you know maybe she doesn't have to do as much as you do then i'm kind of influencing that she that the the mentality is oh i don't have to keep mobility as you know um, tailor in my mobility work as much as I do as my training partner. We'll yeah. just say John, you know? So instead I just kind of keep it very broad. Yeah. Okay. You got to keep your mobility training in every day, 15, mm-hmm. 20 minutes, do it when the kids are going to bed or w- wake up before them, find some time to get that mobility training in. And if I just keep it that way, regardless if she's more mobile and yes, she will be that it's still tailored. She's trained to think, well, I still got to do it. You still have to right. work it. Yeah. If I, I, you know, especially with clientele, they're 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 obviously um, paying you for service, right? So they're gonna get the work in for what that time, mm. right? So when you're giving homework, if I if I turn around and say, well, you don't have to do as much because you know your hips are more, um, you know, greasy, mobile, <laughs> gre- 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 greasy, hips. yeah, greasy hips. Then you don't. Then then it's kind of like, well, it won't be as important. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, but yes, in that statement, you are correct. Uh, I, you can definitely see that in jujitsu. Those women are just like spiders, like rarks. You know, they they those hips are like super. Uh, you can definitely see that. That's it. There's a sport where you can definitely see how um, limber and mobile they are. It. There, yes, you can see the difference mm-hmm, for I'm sure. Not- and I would think I about I would think about it less in terms of you know everybody should be doing mobility, but if you've got yeah, sometimes hypermobility is not a good thing as well, and maybe that's uh, yes. I actually an- have a client. I th- th- this was new to me. Um, I mean, we're talking crazy hypermobility, mm. and most you know the comments were like, "Oh, that's really cool. Look at the splits. You can just do splits on the wall and stuff." But as a coach, you're like, "Ah, oh, I gotta I gotta help you with that because um, if you understand hypermobility." Um, you can almost treat it the same as, you know, not much mobility. You know what I mean? So, mm. yeah, I do. That's neat for me. I've been researching more lately on, um, you know. How to build stability in the joint. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, maybe a lot of it is, 
you know, less to do, less to do with gender, right? Because when you look at, you know, at least all the stuff that I've studied, you know, there is, you know, the bone structure difference in men and women and, you know, hormonal differences in men and women, but the, uh, you know, cross-sectional area of muscle um, for the same sizes of equal power, strength, whatever you want to call it, for men and women, right? So it's not, you know, once you get down past one or two factors, it's men and women are, you know, biomechanically exactly the same. But maybe a lot of it is to do with, uh, and this is more observational from my perspective that I know. Granted, all most of my friends are from you know either even um, either even before jiu-jitsu are from a sporting background, so I'm more likely to encounter active men. But I feel like men are encouraged or more likely to have got into some kind of strength training, whether it's just going to the gym to build muscle, whatever the case may be. So by the time. If you take, you know, a sample of 100 men and 100 women that hit jiu-jitsu at the same time at the age of 25, probably because of the way society has, you know, you know, men, you know, are typically told that they you know, should be strong and masculine and it's less, less so for women, right, in my observation. So out of those 100 men and 100 women, maybe just a higher percentage of men have actually gone through some kind of strength and conditioning by the time that they get to the mat. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's a big reason why you see those differences because I think a lot of the problem with I, I know my hip mobility that I've had to work on you know, really really hard and mobility in my lower back mobility in my hamstrings is I did a lot of squats a lot of deadlifts without doing the mobility for years and years and years and you sit down you sit in a car you sit in an office and I'm sure it's going to be common for a lot of men come into the mat just an idea you can agree or disagree. No, <laughs> yeah. Say something. You look. You're no, I'm. At I'm just listening. <laughs> <laughs> you look. You had a scary look. Like because yeah, for a second I was like, okay, where's the subtitles? Like <laughs> the little bouncy ball on the bottom. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that totally makes <laughs> sense. And then I go, yeah, sure, completely. Um, yeah. So I, I've noticed. Uh, I was there's a point I was going to bring up. I it like binged like a little bing like while you were talking. Um, if we are addressing trying to coach a female athlete to a male athlete, um, and then you start tying in mobility, because I feel like we're we're a very busy culture, right? So it's hard. And I don't. Do you have any um, series up on mobility specific to time constraints? Okay. So you only got fifteen minutes, and let's be real, most of us. It's hard. So, I, I you want to treat mobility almost separate. You know what I mean? As as a separate training training time. I put a post. Up, I put a post up earlier, and I do have um, I put a, po- a post up earlier on Instagram where someone had commented on one of the hip mobility videos that they that they'd enjoyed, and it's a seven minute hip mobility routine. Right. And it's you know seven S- seven minutes. Seven. Yeah. It's it's yeah. and it's. Do you know what? You do that seven minutes, like three, four, five times a week, your hips are going to like... Right. And the comments coming back of how it's changed people's hips as well is, is incredible. So you can you can get... Try to do a whole body mobility routine, you're probably going to struggle. But if you wanted to target, you know, the two of your main areas, which mm-hmm. are going to be the hips and the shoulders, and that does mean it doesn't... You're not just moving the hip joint, it means stretching the hip flexors, the quads, the hamstrings uh, as well. Um, but if you if you are very targeted, you can get a lot of done. You can get a lot done in a short time, right? But the the idea is the shorter time, right? So mm-hmm. I, I usually say fifteen minutes. Yep. And because um, a lot of 
or I've even had clients that are so busy, I will have them do it on drives if they need to. Um, even with the wrists, you know, like just having a little band, like or taking a, a trigger point ball, you know, set it up under the glute. And so you're in the seat and just maybe moving there or um, however you can fit it in. I I will say that on this super amazing podcast that mobility needs to be there right it has to you have to like he said he has a seven minute video so if you're you are doing strength training you definitely want to make sure that you somehow work it out to where you are educating yourself and really tying in mobility because that will make a difference for sure if you're looking even to change up anything in your routine you're not really addressing mobility that much add it in and you'll you'll definitely see a difference for sure so if someone's got 10 minutes 10 we can say 15 minutes what are the and it, it sounds it sounds like um self-massage myofascial release is your kind of your your most favored modality when it comes to mobility mm-hmm. what are the what are the key areas someone should be targeting if they've only got that amount of time um for sure your hips for sure well where 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 in the hips would you ask them to to, to massage to roll out uh glutes usually that's a that's a big area and um, I, I, I like doing that too, because when I have my students, that's when they make the most noise, like, on, on the, you know, you're like in that pain noise is a glutes mini. So, um, like with a, so yeah, sit, sitting down on the a lacrosse, on a lacrosse ball. Um, that, or it depends. I, I'm a huge fan of foam rollers. Some people aren't. Um, yep. but I, I think they're, um, there's, you're getting a lot done in a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. especially if you know how to foam roll, like yeah. what you're doing. And the reality is you don't spend no more than 30 seconds to a minute on a specific area. But if you're doing it right, that's literally uh, 30 seconds to a minute that's going to make your training session a lot better. Yeah. You know? Um, and then um, I I like, I don't know what they're called exactly. Tiger tails. Um, we use them in Muay Thai a lot. It's a stick and it has the little... Sometimes they're wooden balls, sometimes they're plastic, but you... you like a roller. A roll, yeah. So it's kind of like rolling, but instead of you using your own body weight pressure, you hold each end of the stick and you kind of run it. So I tell people run that, you know, your IT band. Okay. Um, closer to the knees, you know, kind of because it's just those are areas that don't get the best of circulation. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, a, a lot of us seem to have issues with psoas too, like that gets really tight. Yeah. yeah so within what, that area. What, how would you how would you massage at the psoas? Um, with that, I usually um, if they're having issues there, um, that's when you can start adding in a little bit more of a mobile foam rolling. You know, like yeah. the figure fours, turn it onto the glute, roll it out, start tailoring it into the lower back. Um, yeah. And if obviously if they're having really bad issues there, then I would, you know, send them to professional. But yeah, yeah, um, those are pretty much the main areas if you could do something every other day that would definitely be one of them shoulders mm. are always they they i get i hear that a lot especially in jiu-jitsu think about it you probably went people listening you might have went to practice last week somebody on the mat complained about their shoulders <laughs> somebody did yeah because uh it's just the same ball socket area that just gets it, it takes a lot of wear and tear in our sport yeah um, and where, where, where do you target then if you're going to massage, massage out the shoulders? Are you talking about the shoulder itself or the or the lats and the... and the So things I actually pecs. like for the shoulders, and this might be cued more within strength training, but I would actually look at it more of um, mobilities. I like hangs off the bar. And um, I 
we I call them hang tucks. So you're tucking within this, you know, the scap and then really releasing an opening because you're using your own body weight, right? To kind of yeah. help release that area. Um, like I said, some so people would talk, cue talk, that as talk 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 to the other again because I'm I'm a huge fan of the hangs. Mm-hmm. So you're in you're in a, you're hanging off the pull up mm-hmm. bar, yeah. And then what you're doing is you're you're pulling the scapulas. You're pulling and tucking, right? You're it's almost like taking the scaps and tucking them nice and pretty, like under under your clavicles, and, yeah, okay. yeah, and really tucking and holding, and then fully try to release as slow as you can as you go down. You know, like slow okay, so release. So you engage the scapulas and then you release. Really bottom down, down. Okay. yes, and and um, and just hanging in general, you know, um, you know, and then you can kind of change your hang directions. I've been, <laughs> my kids laugh at me, but I've been doing uh, the Rambo. It's like on a single bar where you're holding single bar instead of hands being forward, they are facing each other. If you can think about it, so you're changing directions on how you're hanging. Um, and like I said, some people might cue that as like, oh, that's more like strength training, but I, I look at that as you're adding in. Um, mobility you're opening and closing and flushing you know and um well we're all evolved from monkeys right and monkeys used to monkeys like to swing around from their arms yes and um shoulders i do add in um band mobility like i you know i'll lace a band on a on a stairwell and and um same thing think of it as a rubber band a little bit of you know a little bit of stretch release it back Um, notice how it feels do it again release it back yeah so you're wrapping, and so in that instance, then you're wrapping the band around your shoulder, or are you holding it in the arm. How are you? I lace it. I loop lace it through the wrist. Okay. Okay. And then you want it to wear when you're grabbing that band. So you just want to put on something steady. <laughs> Remember that because I've seen some more some things go wrong because you're you are looping it on something that's nice and steady, your band, and then you're walking out, you know, the slack and I'm going to lace my hand through and I want it to where I'm not gripping. It's literally just using my wrist to hold on to. So you're like in a, a you're sort of a Kimura position? Kimura position. So, okay. Then, in that Kimura position, I'm going to bring my elbow forward, right, to where um, you can see it with both eyes. Yeah. Okay. And then I'm going to, I'm going to let that residue pull. I'm going to walk out, give a little bit of attention. So what, tension AJ, on the so band. what AJ looks like she's doing here, almost like, imagine you had an ax mm-hmm. behind your shoulder. She, mm-hmm. Imagine it, your shoulders are square on. If you were throwing an ax, you probably wouldn't have your shoulder square on. But if you yeah. did have your shoulder square on, it's like you're picking your tricep up in the air. Uh-huh. I'm not like you're going about to throw an yeah. axe. That's the motion you're doing. So you're walking forward, recognizing a little bit of tension, right? And then as soon as I get that out, I'm going to I'm gonna just let that band kind of be the tension. Yeah. Instead of me leaning forward with my body weight, I'm going to let that tension happen within the band. Are you are you flexing into the into the resistance of the band? Absolutely. No. You okay. just everything should be as lax as possible so that we can specifically focus on once you get far enough out and tension is there, I'll have them roll. You know, once the tension's there, you're going to roll that shoulder. Mm. Roll in and out, up and down, side to side. Um shoulders are are they're interesting but they're you got to be careful too yeah. you know um if you think about it as athletes age what are the things they usually complain about my shoulders my hips yeah so those are both areas you um should really self-educate you know learn yeah and take good care of are there any exercises for the shoulders that so what here we're talking about more about mobility mm. but uh, i think of 
some people may think of shoulder strength. I think people listening to this podcast, you know, are a lot more clued up than in the general population, but they may think doing shoulder raises or shoulder presses. But more in terms of a strong shoulder joint. We've talked about hangs. Are there any other exercises that would help develop a good strong shoulder joint? Um, I and my students hate me for this, but I I'm a big fan of push-ups and okay. directional push-ups, right? Because hanging is overhead, push-ups is to the front, right? And I and they're mobile. You can do them everywhere. If you want to start changing them up, I'll take a kettlebell and you know kind of make it uneven. Yeah. Um, I'll add weight into my push-ups. Um, you know, this is just the basics, like foundations. You should be able to handle your own body weight. And that means within a pull-up and within a push-up before you even start looking at adding in weight. Yeah. I'm one of those annoying strength coaches to where people go like, why, why am I just still on the bar? And I'm like, you can't even, you know, I can't even get you in a stable, a, position. A stable solid squat position. I'm not going to, I'm not going to add weight onto that. Yeah. So, yeah. So really going back to basics then. And then with, um, so specifically with the push-ups then, we talk, you talked about the cues that you're using for the hanging. What kind of cues are you talking about with the, the scapular position when you're coaching the push-up? Scapular. Like, explain. What you oh, the shoulder blade, the, the, the scapular, the shoulder, the shoulder blade position when obviously you know what the scapular is. Right? Yeah, yeah. But, um, I think what a lot of people will tend to do when I see, when they do push-ups, um, you know, they leave maybe their shoulder blades, or I, I, I say shoulder blades a lot on this, but, you know, scapulars when they go down to the bottom collapse into each other maybe a little bit mm-hmm. too much and when, they get wet and when they get to the top it's, I think pro, 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 protraction is the correct mm-hmm. term but I can never remember the correct terms right? right and when you get to the top position you know sometimes the shoulder blades are still bunched together when really you want them to kind of spread apart slightly mm-hmm. and is it anteriorly laterally rotate again I forget the correct terms for the biomechanics but there's certain cues that you want to be using in terms of how your shoulder blades should be moving in 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 during the push-up movement. So you guys heard how I just described a push-up and how it sounded so fancy, <laughs> and then there's me. They'd be like, <laughs> I thought, like I if wa- you're flapping into the ground, <laughs> I thought, I wa- and then you can't get up. You know, we're let's talk about this. <laughs> I thought I waffled through it right, and I always <laughs> I always forget the names for. I read textbooks or I you know, do a course. He can make up a muscle and describe it and then, and then we'll totally believe it. <laughs> I, make, I make up all the muscles. I make up all the muscles. But I, I understand the concept of what I should, you know, I understand the concepts of what's going on, but mm-hmm. I often forget the correct biomechanical terms to use. But think about it how, even as a coach though, if you're trying to use terms like that, you know what I mean? sometimes i i I still have my own strength coach so sometimes luckily some of the terms i'll okay yeah i know what he's talking about but when you uh try to explain something like that they're just like what what the hell are you talking about you talking about (laughs) do my boobs touch the ground or they don't just figure out figure out how this goes how is this push-up going what am i supposed to do you know like it's confusing so the best way i like to describe especially what you're looking for in a mechanics of a good push-up what you were doing is moving your body as a unit with full engagement, not just within the shoulders. I taper it saying, oh, this is good for shoulder strength because it is. You're controlling because that is that is what's pushing you off the ground, yeah. right? But there needs to be activation everywhere else, not just within, you know. So like you're saying, what we most commonly see with with a weak push-up is the same thing, the rollback, right? The the, the the scaps connect together and yeah. they'll get to the ground and get stuck. 
So instead, I'll go, okay, well, let's reverse it. If you're struggling there, instead, let's start from the ground. Let's start your push-up from the ground instead of top, mm-hmm. instead of top side. <clears throat> engage that first. You know, tuck and engage first. So they'd be just chest chest and belly on the floor. Yeah, I call that, yeah. Chest to deck, that's what I call it. So let's train you to be able to push yourself up as a unit without the rolling. So you're going to open, squeeze and hold. Like notice what's happening there. Mm. Okay, activate your glutes. Okay, let's dig your feet in. So push yourself up off the ground as a unit. That's how I, I've started and stopped more times than I can count, especially after pregnancies, right? So that's honestly how I design my push-up is I will start from the ground first if I need to. If, I, if I'm if i one of those people, I get to the ground and I can't, you know, my shoulder bearing can't handle that weight. And then you see them collapse or, you know, do a half push-up. Instead, I'll say, okay, let's start from the ground. Push yourself up as a unit then. Hmm. slowly lower yourself as slow as you can keeping everything engaged and then when you get to the ground let's start it again reset tuck nice and tight squeeze push yourself up as a whole and you can that's where you can inhale or exhale hold it there slowly lower yourself right Hmm. because we think push-ups top to bottom that's what we see you know that's what we think we start up top go to bottom come all the way up but what if you reverse it you know what i mean start it that way instead so Step literally ground up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, again, my, my whole thinking within my strength training. Is it right? I don't know. It's worked so far. <laughs> yeah. Or is I'll the same I, thing I even think? I've never thought of that for the, for the push-up. No. Give it a try. Yeah, well. See how it goes. Especially if you have somebody that just, is, they're, they're um, you know, you're, as a coach, you're recognizing where those weaknesses are, mm. right? So, and every formulation is definitely going to be different for every single athlete yeah some people can push themselves off the ground no problem yeah yeah i spend a lot of time now i've done over the last three to six months doing exercises that like you know some kind of push-up or um trying to think of an, of an example dead bugs is an example where they look to the eye incredibly simple and they look basic and Mm-mm. But when you when you when you start thinking about okay how do I keep how do I keep a long spine how do I keep a, how do I keep my core engaged how do I um, you know think about my scapular positioning how do I keep my pelvis pelvis level and all of the, all of those things but also do it in a way without overactivating the kind of the prime movers so you can go back to a lot of these bare basic exercises and just put them in as part of your warm-up at least i think and use them as activation exercises right and it's Mm -hmm. very um i do i I do post a little bit of content about it but i sometimes it's like well you just do you're just doing a fucking push-up and so no i'm not just doing a push-up right there's a lot more to it Mm -hmm. when you really kind of break it down um, and the other point I was going to make is thinking about your idea of the ground up. That a lot of um, the, the, the DNS or dynamic neuromuscular stabilization, a lot of that is built around teaching people with baby movements. And I think they, they, they even break it down for, you know, lying on your back three months, on your knees six months, like how a child would develop mm-hmm. and taking people through that developmental cycle so literally when you think about it from the ground up mm-hmm. so it's it's funny that you've kind of come to that conclusion um you know maybe you've been exposed to that stuff as well but have come to a very similar similar conclusion to a lot of the work that they do as well yeah for sure so you said you have a strength coach as well yeah um I've, i'm using a satellite strength coach as of now yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. So uh, something like I said, uh, we've been dwelling more into um, uh, base strength, which is the feet. <laughs> so there's been some pretty funny, you know, like to me, I'm like, what is going on, you know? But then stabilizers. Can I interrupt you really quickly? Yeah, because I want to lay some context, right, for people that don't know AJ, have never rolled with AJ. Like, you know, you'll swing around like a 55 kilo kettlebell, I think is the heaviest kettlebell that you've got. Mm-hmm. Um, you, what's the, what's the heaviest Turkish getup you can do? It's like, it's pretty. I, I do this adorable thing. All my kettlebells are named. <laughs> Literally, I've got, yeah, so my studio is a circus. <laughs> Someday maybe we'll do like a, we'll, we'll come in and we'll, we'll actually get a video of my crazy studio. But, um, I want to give people some kind of context for how, actually how strong you are. And you're someone who still says, okay, yeah. I need a strength coach, right? I want to give people. Oh, absolutely. Context. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of how, you know, you have a, an engaged coach is if they are constantly back to jiu-jitsu. This is why I'm kind of in awe of our, of our professor, Thomas Cronin. He is competing like crazy. And constantly challenging himself. And really, nobody's given him that hard of a time. But the idea is he's constantly learning. So if you are using a coach, you know, and, and it's we get into ruts too. You know, we get worn out, the same thing. But if you have a coach that is constantly trying to learn, th- that's a good thing there, right? And especially if they start experimenting on you. Like, hey, I just learned this cool thing. Let's try it, you know. Um, that's That's an engaged coach. You know, they're trying to keep that there. Yeah. So, yeah. So that you have names for your kettlebells. I do have names for my kettlebells. Uh, so Marcy is pretty heavy. Um, How heavy is Marcy? So what's above 36? Because that's Marcy and Darcy have twins. 40 or 44? Yeah. Well, a few, a traditional. The one right above 36 is what I did uh, last week. So it's 40 kgs, right? Yeah. You, weigh, you weigh how much? Uh, 150. So that's more. It's about... 5'9". Brown eyes, brown hair. <laughs> I'm going to give you a phone number too. I, I like uh, food. <laughs> <laughs> I like food. Um, but, but I'm just trying to give you a, give people a context and what that, that's a percentage of your body weight is. It's about 60% of your body weight, right? It's, it's yeah. an incredible amount of... She's strong as shit is what I'm trying to tell you people. Um, and even someone who's, you know, strong as shit is you still take the time to have a strength and conditioning coach. So I, I've kind of digressed slightly, but you're getting back into um, foot stability. I think you were talking about yeah. some of the things you're working on. Yes, it's pretty neat because you don't think about it. We just stand and we're like, okay, we're standing. But then if you start looking at it and you add it into your dead, I, I, I abbreviate a lot, so just excuse that. But like my deads or um, I actually don't do bar back squats. Um, Why not? I, I have a bulging disc from fighting. So, okay. Yeah. So I, I, not that I'm against them, but I, I've, I have been researching kind of um, heavy loading to the back like that, like putting a lot of, I don't know. I've been looking more into heavier squats. How, how can I work around that? Would you do, would you do um, like a front squat? I love front pistols? squats. Yeah. Okay. But granted, those are very quad engaging. You know what I mean? So I can't yeah. just be doing fronts all the time. Um so yeah, I've been. It's kind of cool because I. It's made me play around with how I am squatting, things I'm doing to engage that. Yeah, and so now I'm looking at it more like with structure again from the ground up. How how am I with activating my feet as much as possible, spreading my toes? I lift barefoot too, um, but things that I'm paying attention to and activating first that I never pay attention to. Really before. like yeah. like what? 
I would just step up to the bar and kind of like dig my feet and, you know, get into what I'm doing and not even, you know, I've seen videos where like one foot's almost <laughs> half a foot in front of the other and I'm still doing the movement, you know, just not really look at things from the ground up, like what's happening. Yeah. Or now I'm noticing, okay, when I'm standing, I feel engaged, but, you know, um, maybe I'm sitting to the outside more on the left foot than on the right. So that must be a tighter area today. You know, there's a lot that I feel like happens within stance and um, activating things there. Mm. Yeah. So going back to the theory of ground up, now light bulb's just gone off in my head. Um, is, the, is the reason that you build that, you've built that kind of, that, that school of thought of from the ground up because with the vast majority of the exceptions, right? Like a pull-up bar. Mm-hmm. But um, and we can talk about pull-ups actually. Maybe you think about the bar as being the ground, but the point, right. my point, my point being that where's the first point of activation? That's, that's what you're where thinking. that's your, that's the point of stability with which you're mm-hmm. generating all of the force mm-hmm. or point of leverage, I should say. Right, and then as a student, when you're coaching a student, you're thinking you you were teaching them to self-recognize mm. instead of just they get to the point they're tired. Okay, walk up to this bar, pick it up, put it down you know, 10 times. But then when you get them to train themselves, now I actually have a, a, a youth athlete. He's a wrestler. He's he's so much fun to work with. Um, but now he's recognizing he'll get up to the bar and cue himself, right? And I had to design it for him. He's got longer legs as a wrestler and stuff, but mm. he's only 15. But already he knows uh, for his, what was, you know, set up for him, how to activate. Yeah. And then literally within three weeks, his deadlift um, just straight pulls up tremendous, you know, and um, and that's just understanding what I'm activating from the ground up. Right. Yeah. Right. So that's kind of an easier way to I think you're getting your your students more involved. Right. Because you're having them recognize instead of just going through the motion. Let's start at the smallest areas, my toes you know, my, the base of my feet. All right. Now my ankles. All right. Now my knees, where are my knees going? You know, yeah. things like that. Yeah. It's almost like a mindfulness practice. For sure. Yeah. And then I feel like it's less overwhelming because you're setting yourself up instead of like, Oh, am I doing this right? You know, yeah. if you set yourself up on your own. And, uh, this is a cool thing too, with a satellite coach, you know, if you can learn to set yourself up and your coach can critique your actual movement or, you know, it, um, I don't know, you're kind of, I think that's a good dynamic. Do you do satellite coaching if anyone's interested? Um, I haven't for a while. I've gotten really busy. I've moved into another area. Um, we should al- talk about that. Yeah, alongside with um, my mom, being a mom. Wait, I'm a mom, right? Those are my kids, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think they are. I think they are kids. My kids are do, in daycare. Do you want to do that? I have two kids. There's two boys. <laughs> so I'm a mom. I'm a yeah so it's not not as much as um i could and i i'll I'll probably talk to you more about that like how i how can how can i set that up maybe i'll jump in on your thing here and there yeah for sure Um, sure. um so what is what is the other area you've mm. moved into i know what it is it's a very leading question but right so um i after my last fight i i kind of didn't past medicals a bit. I passed them but with a lot of warnings and so I'm not so this isn't like I'm retiring from fighting I haven't been in the cage for a little while because I transitioned to just doing 
jujitsu. Um, so I just haven't really been, um, in an area, but then in an area to feel like I want to fight, right? Cause usually most fighters they know, and some of them are just itching for fights left and right. I kind of stopped feeling that way. And I'm like, you know, I need to start, um, maybe it's time to venture. I've been in fighting for such a long time. I really, I, you know, I know it makes me sound ancient, but for my age, I've most of my life I've been around it. You know what I mean? And not just, and literally have been in... It's like a 15-year career? Yeah. And yeah. not just that, but you got to think, um, you know, more in the professional side of fighting. Not just like, hey, I grew up in a rough neighborhood, you know, which is kind of the same aspect. But literally have been um, around promoters and coaches and matchmakers and things like that. And um, for some reason, I always had admiration for referees. It is a, it's an area with most sports that isn't very much appreciated, right? And you, you're only really noticing a referee if they mess up, if you think about it. Yeah. Right. Um, occasionally you get like really good looking refs. So the people will be like, oh yeah, that one. <laughs> it doesn't matter if we're good or not, but you're like, yeah, that's how I recognize them, you know? I recognize the guy that looks like um, oh, Gimli from Lord of the Rings, the guy with the big mustache. Oh, I just worked with him. I just mentored with him last weekend. What remind me of his name? His name's Mike Belshain. Beltran. It's a damn cool mustache. Yeah. And he, he, I don't know. He was saying, um, you know, at first he was having a hard time getting into that uh, that area because of the mustache. You know, they just thought the look, the look just, it's, it's strange. It's a very, I'm learning more and more, but he, he's a rebel and he's like, oh, I'm keeping it. Yeah, he's pretty like, badass. He's pretty badass, yeah. And the thing is, he's a phenomenal ref. He's so good. He's so... You, now that I'm moving into this field, too, I'm recognizing, like, we just think we see a referee, they're moving around, but they... You were looking at so much... There's so much going on. Mm. And so I... Back to my story. So then um, around last year, um, I had some life changes, and I was like, you know what? About five years ago, I had a few people um, that are in that field that were like, you know, maybe that's something you should do. Like your par- your personality matches up, you know, a lot of people, and um, it, it, there's this thing where I've most of my opponents, and this is true, they're all most of them were all on my Facebook or social media. I kept friends with them, even though we fought. Like I, I make sure to develop and um, cultivate relationships as much as possible. So um, that's just really important to me. So then I, I didn't even really even research into it, but I was like, what does it take? You know, like, how, how do I go about this? Some states, it's just you can, you just know the right person and you're able to um, kind of get mentored into it. Um, some states, you just get thrown into it, <laughs> right? You want to do it, they just kind of throw you in there. Um, are there, are there particular, particular states you should avoid fighting in because of that? <laughs> I, I, I'm sure there are some fighters out there that know exactly what I'm talking about. And okay. they probably have had a fight in that state to where they're like, oh, yeah. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, stay out of that state. Okay. But just for professionalism, I won't, I won't drop them yep. for sure. But I will say, uh, I just happened to decide to do this in the hardest state that you could be in to move into officiating. California. California, right? But you got to think, people that live in California, how um, many fights are, there's there's four times the amount of fights. Uh, we're talking, you know, 
um, athletic commission arranged cards than there is in any other state. I didn't know that at the time. <laughs> I figured it out the hard way for sure. And so, yeah, I, um, first I asked around to everybody I thought would apply to, like, how do I go about this? And then, you know, I got, I was really lucky because I had a little cheering squad behind me once they're like, oh yeah, okay, this is great. This would be a great era for you. Um, but with, uh, California, they have this really good setup to where there's a commission for amateurs as well as a commission for pros. Mm -hmm. And, um, what that does is you have to pass certain courses. So, it would, so, so I can clarify that. Would it be to ref an amateur event versus ref referee, judge, or inspect? Okay. Okay. So there's a lot that goes into, um, you know, why I chose to be a referee is because I felt that I, um, the cage was home. That I, you know, I was. I, it made things made sense to me more in the cage than, mm. um, you know, people that we have the officials at work around it, you know what I mean? And yeah. I thought, um, within all my fights, I've had, I've always had really good experiences with refs. They're kind of the people that made me feel like no matter what happens, I'm safe. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm a, the person across me does not want me safe. <laughs> they, they do not want me kill, safe. They want to kill you. No, regardless of how nice they are. Yeah. At that time we are paid to do a job. Right. Mm-hmm. And we've both worked super hard to get there. One's leaving here a loser. So, but the referee, for some reason, and I still recall it, and I have some favorite refs of my own, but I felt like worst case that happens, that person's waking me up or that person's pulling that, you know, my opponent off of me. But I, it's all right, I'll make it. As it, has it. Was there a particular time that stood out that a ref has, you think, saved your ass? Or, or did that never really happen to you? Because um, you got a lot of wins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but yeah yeah there's been refs that have definitely like yeah helped Stepped me out in at the right time luckily i fought some you know when i have lost those opponents usually are they're pretty seasoned so they know hey if i get a sub i let it go i don't need a ref doing that yeah okay i won't say this i do have a funny story but i'm not gonna tell you which ref it was so i was the main event um i think this is south dakota um and i won't say who it is because it's a pretty popular ref the match before me, so back then, um, people were still fighting in rings. You know, um, we're kind of moving out of that, I noticed here. Asia is kind of still holding on to the ring thing. Um, the match before me was heavyweight, and we're talking heavyweight, like South Dakota heavyweights. I don't even know what that weight class, and they were going like hard. Three, 300 pound type. Right, and they, were, and they were like athletic heavyweights, though. And this ref is a pretty big ref, but almost looks smaller compared to these guys that were fighting. And me and my opponent, they're, we're, we're in the the flightway. So we're getting ready to, they're fighting where, where fighters walk out, right? They pulled you. And they're in a ring. They're in the ring. Yeah. But you can see it. You can see the match because we are right where fighters would walk out, right? Right on the um, flight strip. I call it the flight strip. And so the ref had to break that fight up, but they were, they were it was a really heated fight. I guess there's a lot of background to it. He had a hard time breaking him up. And then um, that was just in between rounds. And the third round, he actually had to separate them, but actually get corners in because they were just fighting. They were fighting, fighting. Hmm. Fight's done. Chaos calms down. And then I get in and me and this other girl, um, you know, we're definitely a lot smaller. <laughs> and you could tell the ref was, you know, obviously that was a very agitated fight. They were disrespectful to him. They didn't, 
break up when they told him to break up. So, you know, and he had to work really hard to separate them. I won that fight by a TKO because I was mounted during strikes and um, she couldn't take any more of the strikes. So he went to separate us, but he was he was so used to bigger, you know, right before me was some huge guys to separate. So he went to, <laughs> I'm laughing now that I'm thinking about it, he went to separate us and it was like a football tackle. <laughs> My little ass goes flying out of the ring. <laughs> My opponent was so confused. She was like, what just happened? I'm okay. I mean, when she's, I, you know, I'm, I got hit a lot, but you know, she wasn't, I'm okay. But because he was so, he just separated some huge fighters, you know. Uh, Did, he didn't know his own strength. Almost. No, I went flying out of the ring. It was so confusing. And I, I just look back now. I'm like, that must have been so, if you were watching that fight, that must have been so funny to see me flying out of the ring when he separated us. So f- <laughs> flipping, that, flipping that on its head, if you were to, would they not put you into ref a male heavyweight fight? Um, no, I, a good ref is a good ref. You know, um, and it's the same. Oh, I almost feel like, and granted, so let me backtrack just so you guys understand where I'm at now. So then um, took a course and now I'm with Camo working as a ref and um, Camo is the California Athletic um, martial arts organization. It's set up for uh, right under. So you're C's. certified to do professional reffing. Yeah, yeah, not professional. I'm still amateur. Okay. Um, there's uh, professional takes a while and you have to earn that. Right. Okay. And, um, but the cool thing is I what I'm noticing within California is they treat amateurs just as prestigious as they treat a pro fight. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like tailoring them. So they go through the same protocol you would as if you were in a pro fight, right? All the way up until you get to the cage. Differences, rounds are shorter, and you can't elbow. So, But besides that, it's kind of the same demeanor. Um, where was I at? I forgot what I was talking about. Where was this? Um, I, I, I was going to ask you about refing would they put you in with heavyweight oh, uh, yeah but then, you so, said, but, but then you said good ref's a good ref but then you good said you wanted to backtrack yeah i backtracked as usual <laughs> so uh no i and granted so here's the thing i'm still learning um there i, I still have yet round there's not many females in refereeing especially in mixed martial arts um the one that we have and i guess you know i'm allowed to say this she had some hard calls and just didn't really leave the best um heritage behind on what a what a ref should be you mm-hmm. know and um so usually most people they recognize they go oh, yeah there's a, there was that one female ref but what comes behind that are you know some unfortunate uh, mistakes that were made yeah so it's new. It's this is a different um, path for sure for me because I feel like uh, there is a lot to learn, and it's kind of the same thing. I can't sit there and think, "Well, I'm a female, and you know, I'm the only female you're, you're, here." You're a referee, right? Yeah. And and unfortunately, the one female that was there kind of left, um, you know, some concern as an official. So my goal here is just to be a good ref. So regardless if I'm refing. Um, I, I work now as a USFL ref, so it's kids pancreation, which those kids, they're hard and they're good. I'm like sweaty after refing them because I'm having to chase, they're like wet cats, just, you know, like it's, it's hard. But the neat thing with refing them is safety is like a thousand percent, you know, so I'm learning a lot there. And then my goal is, um, as an amateur ref, is to just learn to be a good ref, regardless if they put me in there with heavyweights, they should respect me enough as just the same as the little 125ers. Yeah. You know, they respect me enough to know if I stop a fight, it's for a reason, you know, and, um, you know, yeah. 
it's really neat from this side though i will say that that from being the person sitting in that stool talking to a ref to now actually being that person talking to a fighter it's pretty surreal and i had no idea as a fighter everything that goes into all the outside of that you know we show up we do our job but we don't understand how hard those guys really work those officials how hard your judge is really working you know really really holding that scale for you you know do you want do you want to share the story you don't you don't have to use names if you don't want to but the I event know if i can't because everybody recognize what happened in that story i, I you, you could, if you don't want to share it you don't you'd have to, you don't have to share it but the story you were telling me before we got on air i thought it was pretty funny it is very but you funny. can say no yeah but just in case because i'm still okay i'm still new with it was a hilarious story i mean i'm honestly it's even as refing though every time i've worked i've mentored under somebody i it's it's still really funny like you know um I, i'm tiny as a ref so <laughs> it's you know like um i'm i laugh like i we just did a rules meeting and we had these you know big strong refs talking giving the rules meeting and i'm just kind of like tucked behind and they try to have like every ref come up and explain a rule and uh, they completely forgot I was there, but not even on purpose, <laughs> you know, because you want every ref there to kind of like, hey, if I am refing your fight tonight, you know, you, you add in your own input. But because, um, you know, I'm just small, <laughs> they didn't even realize, oh, yeah, uh, this little thing behind us, that's a ref too, you know. So that that was funny to me the last time. I was like, they completely forgot I was here. It's get, cool. It's all. It's you gotta all right. get some like crazy haircut or something. You uh, know? Maybe no, a good ref you don't see. You know, you don't even know. You don't even know they're there. You know, but unless, um, unless you've got a six foot mustache, yeah, which is pretty cool. Yeah, but I the, like I said, the one thing I can take out of it is like it's really I'm brand new at this. You know, I have a long way to go. Um, which I always get excited about that. I'm like, cool. There's so much to learn. Yeah. But even neater is that coming in it as a, a long-term fighter, you know, because now you kind of have to, all that goes out the window. You can at least relate to that person in the cage. You know, you can be like, hey, especially if with losses or wins, like you've been there, you understand. So, but everything else, they, it's really neat. Like their mechanics, you have to really understand how joints work. Where do I need to be stand? If somebody's stuck in a sub, right? Where do I need to be positionally? So I can see. Yeah, I heard there's an issue on the last UFC card, this this last UFC, and I won't even get into that, but the ref just happened to, be, unfortunately, be out, the, out of position. Yeah. The fighter went out, so... Um, so a, jo- yeah, a choke. Which totally happens. And, and fortunately, like, this ref is a very good ref, but the small mistakes are what makes them noticed. And also, yeah, so things like that. And that's a lot to understand. Especially as grapplers, you know, or as jiu-jitsu practitioners, we understand, oh, this is how I finish it, right? I remember, as, um, I remember watching, I think it was one of the Paul Harris fights where he heel hooks a guy and it just came, you know, not saying this is a, was a refing thing, it just happened and it came on so damn quick and he cranks the shit out of this heel hook. And then as they're, as they're calling the fight and then, they, you know, they put they flash the things up on screen. I think it was a UFC fight. You can still hear the guy screaming on the floor in the background. Oh, no. <laughs> Fucking horrible. Yeah. So there's subs that are unavoidable like that. But it's... Or even now, because now you're adding striking too. I have to be in the right position because usually knockouts, they're quick. They're like, boom, 
it's a flash, you know, especially you got to be able to be there as quick as possible to protect that fighter. Do you, do you think though, um, I'm thinking of this from a jujitsu mindset and when I'm, if I'm training, if I'm training some training with someone in jujitsu, and I think once you get to a certain level in jujitsu in training, we'll, we'll take competitions aside, but in training, I should always know where the submission is. I should always be able to get to the point of, mm-hmm. okay, this is a submission. I'm going to put it on slowly, mm-hmm. and in training, I'll wait. I'm, I'm looking for the tap. I'm looking to let go, and if I don't see the tap come in, I actually won't take it past the point of where it's going to get hurt. But obviously. You know, in a fight, in a you know, in a cage fight, a completely different situation, right? Where um, there's a lot more at stake. You know, financially, there's a lot more at stake. You know, physically, um, for what could happen to you, you know, the heat of the moment. Do you think people? Do you think it's a, it's, a, it's a completely different that kind of mindset of knowing where where the tap is, knowing where the point of failure is for a submission goes out yeah. of the window a bit more in MMA. Yes, um, for sure. Uh, that's a good point, actually. So working as an amateur ref um we we don't like at the pro level you're looking at usually pretty high level grapplers so yeah they're gonna they're gonna slap on a submission and it's to the death (laughs) submissions to the death and you know don't don't stop until the ref says stop right or if they're professional they notice the tap they will let it go but they're they're gonna get on a sub to make you tap yeah yeah they're gonna one winner one loser right it's a different mindset right yeah but the scary part in the amateur is a lot of them are still you know in that white belt blue belt stage and they and but it is it's not just training in the gym now now it's an actual fight you're getting hit in the face so subs are pretty vicious (laughs) and crazy and then uh maybe not even understanding how to get out of them so that's getting kind of... You roll the wrong way. Right. Or, you know, you're an armbar and you just refuse to tap, but you're not understanding. That's a fully extended armbar, you know? That oh, shit's going to go. Right. So that, that's been a huge challenge. I'm learning as a ref, you know, and California is really good about that. They allow the refs to uh, stop a match if they feel like something is overly extended because it's an amateur. This is where you're supposed to learn, you know, and you want to prolong your career. Um, I've had to stop matches for fully extended submissions and the kid just didn't even know what he was in. In a pro fight, would they leave a brick? Would they what? In a pro fight, let's say you've got an armbar on and it got hyper extends. What um, I, I, no, because if you recall on a few, um, there's been a few, yeah, a ref is always allowed to stop a fight as his, at his, dis- or her actually. Got it that in, add that in now. Is no, there no. yeah. her discretion? They're allowed to stop a match if they feel like, a, you know, there's danger serious, set up there. Serious damage. Yeah. But, okay. I, you know, on the flip side, I feel like that Provo, they're going to let you try to fight out of a sub as 110% of what you can give to get out of that. Yeah. Amateurs a little bit differently. Uh, you got to recognize maybe that kid doesn't understand how to get out of that armbar and it's fully extended. And I, I suppose, you know, a heel hook versus a choke. Yeah. Choke, so a choke, you go yeah. out a heel hook, you fuck your career. It's kind of cool here too. Cause an amateur, they only allow straight, straight uh, leg attacks. Okay. So, um, and if you start rolling, we'll, we'll stop it and stand you up. We don't even want to run the risk. It's just not worth it. So, you know, this is where you're learning, you know? So if you do an amateur MMA in California and someone tries to do a leg lock, just roll. Yeah, <laughs> no, I just give away your secrets, <laughs> the secrets of uh, yeah. How do we skip? Yeah, but um, anyways, with that, it's been pretty cool, and it's it's this is another just like I feel like I'm I'm excited because when I started my career, I fell in love with it, and it was just um really cool. You know, there wasn't many women at the time, so it's still kind of a pioneer thing. 
and um it, it was just I, I never looked at it like oh yeah I'm gonna become a world champion and stuff that that's just never really been my mentality it was just more like the experience of trying to leave things behind mm-hmm. you know whether if I was a first for that state or um challenging myself okay I want to get the quickest armbar I can get in my match which I've done you know so this is kind of a new thing to where um I'm thinking kind of the same way like this is neat this is all like relearning removing gender instead and just you know being a good rough yeah and I'm hoping um maybe somehow some way I'll set some firsts or maybe there'll be another fighter that goes oh cool when I'm done with fighting Maybe I'll move into that instead of just becoming a coach or, you know, what most people do after fighting. Yeah. Like, okay, that'd be really cool. Maybe I'll move into officiating, you know, or... Yeah. Yeah. So cool. it's been neat. I think it's also, it's interesting here when you talk about the, the different firsts that you've, we've touched on, we've touched upon some of them through this, mm-hmm. through this interview. Um, I suppose I would make the point for people listening that it's never with you, it's never with you. It's, you're, you're, you're never bragging about the fact that it's first. You're not doing it just to kind of you know just to be kind of like oh yeah you know I was the first person kind of thing. It's a very it's, it's a completely non-ego driven type thing. You're just trying to almost like you said earlier. A lot of these things are happening by happy accident. And a happy accident would be, I suppose, a disservice to all of the hard work you put in. I think, you know, a lot of luck is, you know, when preparation meets opportunity. And I think that's what you know, mm-hmm. seems to happen with you. So I just kind of make that point that it's never with, it never seems to be with you. I, I never, never seems to be. It never is. Oh, yeah, I'm the first person. You're not bragging. It's just mm-hmm. you happen to be in these situations where, you know, you've been the first in, in many occasions. Right. Yeah. So um, I, the, it's funny because I always think, and this started when I became a mom. I'm like, I want to, I have a box and I'm sure every fighter has this box. It's like, you know, what some people collect like pictures and stuff in. So for me, it's like my hand wraps. I always keep the left hand wrap. Um, um, I, when I was younger, I got to go to Japan a lot. And so, um, there's some first there in fighting. So I kept the things that reminded me of like, that was really cool. And, you know, um, is first. Um, so it's, it's just, even as a ref now, there's a few things I ran into is first, you know, and I didn't even know it. It took another person telling me, oh yeah, this is the first time this has happened, you know? And so then I make sure secretly tuck it away so I can stick it in the box. Cause one day I have two sons. I want them to be able to like pull out a box and be like, you should see all this cool shit your grandma did. <laughs> and yeah. that's what I always think about. Like, what can I leave behind? <laughs> grandma was a badass. <laughs> or like, look at this crazy girl. Look at all this stuff she's done. You know what I mean? And wow. uh, yeah, so those are the things I think about like now. And I and even then, if we talk about first, it's so cool that I'm still with my first love, you know, MMA and jiu-jitsu. I'm still there. Just, um, this is kind of like before my kids it was before my first boyfriend it's kind of like the first thing I really fell in love with and I'm still there falling in love with it one way or the other so it's pretty cool addicted oh yeah for sure it's cool it's a cool life any closing thoughts you want to leave people with any words any words of wisdom oh 
<laughs> Come on, you got you have to expect a question like this at the end of a podcast. I know, but it's just like when you're set up on the spot, you're like, you know, make sure to wash your hands. I don't know, like, what do you throw in there? Drink lots of water. I don't know. Um, Shower. Yeah, it's it's appreciated. Use defense soap. Yeah. Um, you know that is a pretty cool question. I I. Uh, I actually talked to someone the other day and I think I wrote it like in a card because they were moving. I had a client that had to move and I've had her for a while. So I was like, I'm going to write like an inspirational card. And the top of it was always, it said explore. What do you mean explore? Like always learn, you know, life is very short, super beautiful, very short. Always, you know, have the want to learn and create and, um, you know, realize how amazing as a singular person all the amazing things your body can do that your mind can do so um i think that'd be cool to close with yeah i wrote at the top i said always explore Explore. like never never stop never stop no matter the age no matter where you're at in life no matter if you are you know at the high or the low or if you're you know just starting or uh, a vet and whatever it is you're doing like always keep the mentality to explore because as a person we're pretty we're pretty pretty damn amazing so pretty cool. yeah that'd be cool what about you anything you want to say anything i want to say people yeah. hear my damn voice all the time don't they um, <laughs> i've got what you know you put putting me on the spot um yeah it's good it's 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 good to be back doing uh doing interviews again because i had a big period of about nearly three months where i didn't do any of these so and it feels like we, we've been trying to make this happen for quite some time which is good but you know both being busy but it's good to finally kind of pin you down and i think have you know probably what is you know only the first interview i think i'm mm-hmm. sure we'll have a lot of time to do we um do do some more stuff in the future we'll always talk about doing videos which we should absolutely get time they get around yeah. to doing at some point yeah um would be cool because i think i would you know thank you for taking the time but i think you're incredibly humble um and maybe sometimes maybe you secretly, secretly do appreciate it and you just you're really really humble but i think sometimes you don't really appreciate you know how much knowledge you have to give across so many different aspects of you know fighting sports whether it's you know mma jiu-jitsu the strength and conditioning the mobility the mindset um you know the the kind of the work ethic all the stuff that you've had to go through a lot of stuff that we didn't touch on today in terms of your story getting where you are today and still striving Mm -hmm. to kind of you know to 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 do more and and to give you know, to give back as well. I think, you know, one of the reasons you, you said to me were of why you wanted to be a ref is to give back to the sport. So I think, you know, that's it's been very, very cool to kind of to kind of have you on. Um, and I know I tried to make you sound like Captain S America because you said I made John sound like Captain America. <laughs> he is Captain America. <laughs> he's like, yeah, I just, you know, I did a podcast with John Davis. He's like, you know, he's 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 full of all kinds of cool knowledge so i'm like you want me to do a podcast right after him <laughs> like, you are too yeah um he's he's pretty incredible yeah he's an incredible person yeah um, we train with a lot of very 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 cool people yeah have you had any like really funny stories within these pod like anything crazy happen within these podcasts about um about i don't know i don't know probably one of the funniest one of the funniest people I uh, I've interviewed is a guy called um, Guy John. He's got the does the grappling grappling life podcast. 
okay. the host of the the Grappling Life podcast. This um, whole week, but to interrupt, before I came, I was asking my teammates. Lawrence doesn't know this, so we'll just pretend like he's not listening, even though he's sitting right across me. I was like, "What can I do to make this the most awkward podcast? Like, you guys got any ideas? How can I make this really awkward? Well, awkward for me? Yeah, <laughs> just in general. I was trying to like leave a mark. I'm like, hey, it's my first part. Like, what can I do to make it as weird as possible? You could have d- turned up wearing like a Nazi uniform. Yeah, or something. That somebody pretty, was like, you should awkward. do like a stripogram or something during <laughs> the podcast. <laughs> But then I was like, well, what can I do to where he will still have me back? And then we just couldn't come up with any ideas because you're pretty open minded. So I was like, I don't know. There's I don't think there's anything uh, that would be too uh, weird. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe um, tune in next time and we'll see what happens. Anyway, the point. Some surprise. Just to finish the story on John real quick, because you asked. Um, yeah. yeah, his. So he's been on two. He's been on two or three times. But he was. He was stationed out in Kabul, Afghanistan, doing security work. He was used to be in the army, and the I think it was the last show we had on. It was post him coming back from Kabul and, and leaving Kabul for the final time, and he went through the story of literally I, I think it was you know just a month or a couple of months before where he they got attacked and he got shot, um, shot by you know, terrorists, um, and going going through that event. That was that's a pretty that's a pretty crazy story to hear. Not funny, but. A pretty cool story to mm-hmm. have someone kind of you know to retell and you should hear him retell it on his podcast the the grappling life podcast i'll give him a shout out yeah um i can give everyone a shout out and you know if you are listening and you have been a guest in the past and i haven't mentioned you you're all really cool you're all really amazing he forgot about you that's what happened I'm I completely forgot about you. Um, <laughs> i've got pic- i've got pictures of you all on my wall i promise i promise um yeah so explore yeah. That was the closing thought, right? Explore. We've rambled yeah. on a little bit since then. Yeah, of course. It's totally like us. Um, if if there is anybody listening and they happen to want to follow my story, I've, I'm on Instagram. <laughs> I'm laughing because it was like, uh, for a while there was almost like offensive that I didn't have Instagram, but I could barely keep up with uh, Facebook. So I am on Instagram and Facebook. What's and your handle? I was looking at it's AJ Jenkins 22. AJ Jenkins 22. I'll yes. put it in the show notes as well. Um, so if you, if there's anybody on here that has any questions or wants to talk or chat, send me any funny memes, I always take those, um, you know, or follow my uh, my crazy journey. <laughs> Just uh, hit me up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we'll leave it there. Thank you, everyone, guys, uh, for listening, and we'll speak to you next time.